values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Um, you still got a chance. You want to jump in this contest, you're going to love it. You could win lower-level tickets and two Kevin Durant jerseys as Kevin Durant plays his first home game. As a Phoenix Suns player, it happens tomorrow night against the Thunder. Just go to the – just text the, the word – or I'm sorry, the letters KD to 411923. That's KD to 411923. You just might win lower-level tickets and a couple of jerseys. Pretty cool contest. Um, let's talk about crime and punishment here for a moment. Jake Tapper was talking with a councilwoman from D.C. Now, if you don't know what's happening, there is a bill being proposed. They've pulled this since because of the veto power. The president said he'd veto it in D.C. That's how it works. And that uh, they were going to decriminalize or at least lower the punishments for a lot of crimes. Um he uh, he was uh, talking with the councilwoman, and he talked about, uh, it's a matter of fact, carjacking went up for a fifth straight year, and this legislation would lessen penalties for carjacking. It wouldn't decriminalize it, but... This is this is as crime is rising in D.C. Don't the people of D.C. need a council focused on protecting them and not making it easier for carjackers to get back on the street? This is an inherently violent crime. So he's asking this councilwoman, why would you do this? Shouldn't we be punishing crimes? Her answer, her answer to me is fascinating. It's true, like cities across the country, if, uh, we're experiencing a crime surge that needs to be urgently addressed. But we have decades of data showing that long sentences do not deter crime. What actually deters crime is the likelihood that someone will be caught and prosecuted, not the lengthy sentence. D.C. already has a higher incarcerate, incarceration rate than any state in America. And so if long sentences prevented crime, we would already be the safest city in the nation. And if we want to talk about the roots of crime, then we need Congress to do something about ending poverty, um, looking at the minimum wage across this country, about improving education, about addressing mental health. If Congress wants to actually help DC make DC safe, it would it, it would and should enact strong gun control legislation to stop the flow of illegal guns from from other states coming into DC, whether you know where where they're being used to commit more serious crimes. And so, you know, we can we are addressing crime. Every Every single day, the root causes and preventing it. We need a Congress that's going to do the work around gun control laws um, and gun control legislation yeah. um, within within this country to do something about it. There was not one answer there that addressed the issue that she was asked about people in D.C. feeling safe. There are a couple of things in the justice system. First of all, there is something called justice. And if somebody were to violently attack, I want you to think not even about yourself. I want you to think about the person you love the most in the world, whoever it is, whether it's a sibling, it's a son or a daughter, a spouse, a parent, doesn't matter. If somebody that you loved the most in the world was carjacked, some moron with a with a weapon jerked your loved one out of a car, scared the living daylights out of them, and stole their vehicle. They weren't seriously physically injured, but they certainly were traumatized. And then you heard that nonsense of an answer about how it's not long sentences that prevent crimes, it's conviction. So what she's saying is what really prevents these crimes, if you listen to how she said it, it's the fact that they get caught and convicted that lowers crime, not the sentence. The sentence is part of the justice. 
Our justice system, the jail system and the prison system serve three functions, in my opinion. One of them is separation from society. You've committed a serious crime and you deserve to be separated from society. As a matter of fact, society deserves to be separated from you. You've committed a crime. The other one is punishment. That the people that live within a legal system, because do you want to live in the Wild West? I don't. I'll be honest. I don't. I don't want to live in a world where street justice is the rule. That if you do something to me, I'm not going to involve the police because the police aren't going to do anything. What I'm going to do is I'm going to find a way to get you myself. That's not the society we want to live in. This is what's promoted by these things. And then to go on a tangent about, isn't it interesting how she's crafted it? That it's not the people in the D.C. area with guns that are committing crimes that are the problem. It's the people in other cities that have lenient gun laws that are allowing the guns to get into the shooter's hands in the first place. As if those people that are bent on violence would find another way to be violent if they didn't have a gun. It is a ludicrous response. It goes against everything that we should be believing in. I am also someone that is a big believer in redemption. I am a big believer that when you pay your price, it's over. But it's got to be a price that everybody agrees is a hefty one, especially for a violent crime. I'm, I've listen. I know people. I mean, I've grown up in a in a weird world. I, I had a I've had a weird life, and I grew up around uh, convicts. I have friends that are that were convicts. I have a, there. I talk about my time coaching football and how much I loved it. We had a young man that played for us that was one of the most talented athletes I'd ever coached or been around. And I've been around some of the greats. This kid was immensely talented as an athlete. Smart kid, really talented. His mother, a school bus driver, single mother, school bus driver. This kid at 17 or 18 years old is out robbing people and shot and killed someone. I just, within the last... um, year or so looked him up and uh, he's still in prison and I don't think it's for that crime but he has spent a life being violent against people and it bothers me because I love this kid he was a good kid he chose poorly and what he did was he murdered somebody for a few bucks what's the price for that what do we do what do we do and I mean this I, – I mean that question sincerely. I don't have a bloodlust. I don't think I'm perfect. I think that we should be a nation of redemption. But there's got to be punishment. There has to be real punishment. And when you have things like this happening, criminals, you're dealing with people that think differently. I talk all the time about the predatory mindset. You're not dealing with a rational person that understands, oh, I shouldn't do that. No, you're dealing with someone who believes it's okay to get over on someone else until they get caught. But let's stop thinking about the perpetrator for a moment. If you notice, nothing in her answer had anything to do with victims. It had everything to do with perpetrators. I would say to you that the people left out of the justice system often are the victims because the perpetrator becomes the victim. They get into court. And they talk about how bad their life was and how they never had a fighting chance. You heard her talk about criminals and a need for education and employment and poverty and all these other excuses that sometimes may feed someone's fire. But they committed the crimes. I came from a poor neighborhood. Both of my brothers, we were poor kids. We lived in kind of the projects when we were little, when we were young, especially my youngest brother. He turned out to be the best of all of us. He's a cop. 
Graduated from college with honors. Been married for over 20 years. Got amazing children, an amazing wife. He is a straight-down-the-line guy. Grew up in poverty. Grew up in horrible neighborhoods. Grew up around crime. Grew up around violence. Grew up with two crazy older brothers. So we make excuses. What about the victims? The carjacking that Jake Tapper talked about. What about the people where they're telling people in the city of New Orleans? Now, this was D.C., not New Orleans. But the D.C. I'm sorry, the New Orleans government has put out a directive to citizens. Don't sit in your car too long because carjacking has gone up 150 percent. So you're a sitting duck in your own car. What about the victims who are terrorized by these maniacs that are robbing them? When do the elected officials focus on them and say, we can't allow these people to be terrorized anymore? We're just seeing it wrong. We're just focusing on the wrong people. Coming up in a moment, we do a segment called Did You Hear This? It's how we catch you up on the big news stories of the day. And it's been a big news day. Stick around. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Been a very big news day. Let's catch you up on these headlines. Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. Today we learned that two of the four U.S. citizens who were kidnapped over the weekend are deceased. The others are alive with one wounded. Here's ABC's Matt Rivers with the latest update. In terms of the identities of who was killed, who was found alive of the four people that we know were kidnapped in the first place, they didn't provide any updates on that. We know also from the Mexican president that one person so far has been detained by Mexican authorities in conjunction with this crime. What were your thoughts upon learning this today? Um, It was tragic. You know, we saw the fear was that they were dead from the way that they were thrown into the back of that truck from when the initial shooting happened. Um, it was at first I was immensely sad for the families to have to see this and you know do this so publicly now but also um, then I was angry. I was angry like many people were that you know you've got people that were just going on a trip for medical tourism they were in another country that they should be safe they should not be um, shot at and uh, so those are my two emotions immediately one was very deep sadness and then of course it was anger and I think that's where I'm at still is on the angry part Former FBI ASAC Steve Hooper joined the show today to explain the global collaboration between the FBI and foreign law, law enforcement agencies in the wake of the kidnapped Americans in Mexico. Across the globe, there's FBI agents uh, assigned, and most of them work out of the, uh, the U.S. embassies in those those countries. It's no different down in Mexico, and and things are in places between the ministries of justice and our Department of Justice called MLAT. How important will collaboration be between our two countries as the situation? unfolds it's everything because you know we really don't have a right to practice uh, law enforcement down there we go down there at the pleasure of the people that work we have we have agreements where they have people in our country as well when crimes happen but we have to we have to trust that they're going to be as dedicated and focused on solving this crime and it's not that easy um, there because there is a lot of corruption but at the same time you are working in somebody else's country which means you are basically an observer they share information with you you participate to a certain extent 
government, but you're not. It's not the same freedom of law enforcement that you have on our side of the border. You are listening to Did You Hear This? We do it every day at this time to catch you up on the big headlines. And now County Sheriff Mark Lamb also joined the show today and discussed the tragedy of the deceased Americans, saying it should be eye-opening to the country. This should show Americans just how violent it is amongst the cartels and how much they control these areas to know that that car did not belong in that area. Well, counties on the border need to change their protocol on how they deal with cartels moving forward. I don't, I don't know that they need to change them because this is something that they have been anticipating and watching for a long time. They are very, very well aware that the cartels have lookouts, that they have a very a big surveillance program and network, that they have effective control of the border, that it's, it's controlled by people that are armed to the teeth and are willing to kill. They've known all this for a long time, so I don't know that it changes much about what they do, but it certainly is a very stark and graphic reminder of what they're facing every day. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell appeared in front of the Senate Baking Committee and explained how high inflation is impacting wages. Although nominal wage gains have slowed somewhat in recent months, they remain above what is consistent with 2% inflation and current trends in productivity. Strong wage growth is good for workers, but only if it's not eroded by inflation. Can corporations help their workers deal with the weight of inflation? I don't know. I, that, that's that's the rub. It always is. The The issue here is, you know, we, we were seeing for a long time uh, immense wage growth without inflation. Now we're seeing inflation outpace, outpace wage growth. So what they're doing now by slowing things down is basically making it unaffordable for people to buy certain things or to borrow money and making it tougher. We're seeing that manufacturing is slowing because there has been a regression in the amount of goods that are being requested because it's not being purchased. So we're watching the slowing down they want, but are they going to be able to raise rates high enough to offset these high numbers and stop us from driving into a deep recession? That's the question, and I don't think anyone knows the answer because look what's happening in the stock market. Great job, Julia. Yeah, it was, it's been a very strange day for us as we try to gather information. Um, and we're going to talk more about it. I had an interview this morning with, uh, Griselda Satino and Griselda is, uh, another one of the great members of the KTAR news team. And she was on this this morning along with the entire news team from KTAR, but she came on and explained to us what happened this morning. So I want to go back in the final half hour of the show and go with how it started. I want you to hear Griselda as she gave us the initial update of what happened and what we knew. We'll look for any new information that's out there, and then we'll talk a little bit more about Steve Hooper with the FBI, or was with the FBI, and Pinal County Sheriff Mark Lamb, and what this means, because there is a lot of implications in all of this, especially in Arizona. I, it's not lost on me a couple of things, and I think we'll get into it a little bit more before the end of the show, that there are many people in Arizona that have family ties still to Mexico. They are of Mexican descent and they've got family there. They love their country. They are proud Americans, but they love the culture of where they've come from. And it's a sad day for them to see this happen in their country. But there also are Americans that have businesses and property and spend a lot of time in Mexico. What does this do to that travel as well? So there's a lot to kind of unravel and we're going to do that in the final half hour of the show. So please stick around. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app.
All right, thanks for being here. I want to start. I want to go back and recap what we heard this morning. But before I do do that, there has been some updates. I want to go back now with Griselda Satino. Uh, Griselda, um, can you update us the latest we heard mm-hmm. about the surviving uh, kidnapping victims? Yes, the latest we have is that the two Americans who survived uh, the kidnapping in Mexico appear to be back in the U.S. Uh, and the, the bodies of, of the other two who who didn't who who were killed, um, they are still back in uh, Matamoros, Mexico. Is that that's the latest information that we have? Yeah, I keep hearing the news is that they're saying that according to Mexican law that the their their bodies will have to be requested by the family members. Yes, that's that's correct. So so that'll there'll be a process that the family members will have to follow to to you know have their bodies uh, be sent here to the US has there been any update on the condition of the survivor that was injured and on the identity mm-hmm. of these two or where they are in the US we don't know that information yet you know we're, we're still trying mm-hmm. to see you know who are the survivors and what conditions are they in we do know that only one of them is injured and then the other one is, is appears to be okay uh, but we don't know the, any more information than that um, the other update that we do have is that one person has been detained and and that's according to to mexico's president um and that that that, those are the only arrests that we know of i'm glad to hear that they've detained at least one person Mm -hmm. and maybe they're one step closer to solving this i I appreciate i I know you guys have been working so hard at this back there uh today and i appreciate the update thank you yeah no problem all right that is griselda satino and uh so let's i want to go back let's go back now um now that we've gotten the live update with a very first conversation we had this morning when the news broke was right before I went on the air. So we were scrambling to get information and the KTIR news team has been on it all morning long. So this is Griselda speaking to us about the basic update. This was the very first initial update we heard. All right, we're going to we'll get back to that update here in just a minute. We'll get to the basic update here in a second. Um, this is uh, this is going to be a difficult situation. We're going to talk about some of this going throughout the show because uh, because the the issue here is going to be um, we're going to have a tough time with this diplomatically, but there are big implications for people in Arizona because of the deep ties. Although this was in the border with Texas, this is still going to be you know, a southern border issue. I want you to hear this basic update. When we first went on the air this morning, uh, this was the update of what we found out. They were traveling to Mexico for a medical procedure, um, and they were kidnapped on Friday. Now, now we're learning that two of them are dead, one is injured, and one is alive. The governor of Tamaulipas, which is the state where they went missing, um, he broke the news this morning on a phone call with Mexico's president, Andres Manuel López Obrador. So one of the things also was about someone being detained. We don't have a whole lot of information about it, but this you just heard uh, Griselda update us on that as well. But this morning, this is what she said about someone being detained trying to gather information from the newspapers down in Mexico. Um, Reforma is one of the newspapers down there that's pretty credible. They're saying that one person has been detained, so we're working to confirm that as well. Um, so that's that's basically what we have so far. And before we get into any of the other things, um, one of the things that, that Griselda told us about was the the uh, the Mexican authorities, the governor and the president of Mexico, um, 
they have a vested interest in making this right, that they, that they had been talking about having sympathy and their condolences for the family members here and how they want to make this right. So I just want you to hear this last little bit that she had to say. Mexico's president did want to, um, you know, reiterate that, you know, he is working, his government is working um, around the clock to, to, to make sure that these Americans return home. And he, he did say he did send his condolences to the victims and their families. And then he also made clear that his government is working to guarantee peace and security in Mexico. I think that that is a big that is a big necessity, both for Mexico and for the U.S. Uh, what I mean, and the reason why for the U.S. is because they're our neighbor to the south, and uh, so we have a vested interest, many interests, in Mexico being prosperous and stable. But let's, in in my opinion, in the order of importance, are the connections between Americans and Mexican people that many Mexican people have come here, have come to the U.S. and have become citizens or permanent residents here that have a lot of family still in Mexico, that that is still a relationship that is very, very strong. So our nations are connected in that way to begin with, that there are many people of Mexican heritage here in the U.S. that are proud U.S. citizens that have very close family and still have very strong ties to Mexico. So let's start with the people. We also know that there are many Americans that have purchased homes, that have condominiums and businesses down in Mexico. Rocky Point is a source of a lot of income for Americans. This just and and I don't mean to sound I'm not trying to sound like this is capitalistic. I'm talking about that people love Mexico, that there are many people that love to go to Mexico. And uh, Rocky Point or Puerto Penasco is a, is a place that is a destination for many Americans. They have set up businesses or they own property down there. How does it affect those businesses? Uh, so these are the things that I think are important for us to discuss. How about the fact that spring break is right around the corner, those destinations there, that there are many towns in Mexico that rely on that income? How many students are going to say, I'm not going now? You know, the the impression or the perception of Mexico. And that's the other part of it. Perception is reality. You know, there are many people that, you know, I've had, I've heard from people for years. They say, you know, we've been going down to Rocky Point for years. It is a beautiful place. We've never felt unsafe. I've had people that have done mission work down in Mexico that have said, you know, we can't go into certain parts, even though we're down there doing church work, that we've been told it's not safe. So there's been mixed messages about what that's like. But when something like this happens as brazen as it was and it's difficult to watch but if you go and watch the video of the the original kidnapping where they are loading people into the back of this truck it takes well over a minute and there are there are vehicles that they're blocking the road and there are vehicles that are watching these young men who are not wearing masks, they are watching these young men loading what looks what it, we found out now, I think, are two bodies of Americans into the back of a pickup truck, forcing another person into the back of the pickup truck, into the bed of the truck. And this takes over a minute to do. This was not a snatch and grab that was done in five seconds. Vehicles are trying to get around them. People are largely looking like they're trying to mind their own business and not. But these are people that were very visible. This was brazen. This was. 
was something that is very scary just on the other side of the border from the U.S. And so Americans have a right to say, I don't, you know, I'm concerned about going there. The implications of that long term and our relationships with Mexico, I think we're going to re- always have a strong relationship with Mexico. But there will be some strain. There has got to be diplomatic conversations that happen now about what are we doing to ensure that the people that did this are brought to justice. Can you put the pressure on the cartels that the people that did this will be found out, that they will be caught? What we're going to do to finish up the show is I'm going to let you hear from my friend Steve Hooper. Steve Hooper um, spent over 30 years with the FBI, and my questions were about what next, what will happen next. And it was great, very insightful of how it's handled. So we're going to do that coming up here in just a moment. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, before we get to some of this audio that we played earlier today, and by the way, the interviews are available. My interview with Steve Hooper is available on the podcast. So is my interview will be available, I imagine, with Griselda as well and with Mark Lamb, the sheriff of Pinal County. If you want to catch those on the podcast, you can after the show. I'm going to get some audio in a moment, but let me give you a quick recap if you're just jumping in the car. So we found out early this morning, just around 8 a.m., we found out, Arizona time, we found out that uh, two of the Americans had been confirmed dead from the kidnapping in Mexico, two confirmed dead, one injured and another one uninjured. And the two that were alive were found safe and apparently have been returned to the U.S. Now, the bodies of the victims that that perished, that died, are still in Mexico. Those bodies have to be requested by the families. There is one person, according to authorities, that has been detained in connection with these murders and with this kidnapping. So that's the update. That's as much information as we have. They have not released the identities of the victims that have survived and the victims that have died. We haven't heard that yet. We don't know. And I'm sure that that information is forthcoming. One of the other questions that's going to be asked is and needs to be answered is why did this happen? Was this mistaken identity? Were these people that, uh, you know, Mexico, uh, the people in this area know who belongs there and who doesn't? Was this mistaken identity? Did they get caught and were they perceived to be a rival crew, a rival cartel crew? Were they caught in the crossfire of something? We don't know the answer to any of that yet, but that is going to be a bigger piece of this because I want you to hear a little bit of what Steve Hooper had to say about other Americans being safe. How do we know other Americans will be safe? And a big part of the answer to that question is going to be when we find out why this happened. Here's what Hooper said. They want to put a good face on it. They want to make sure they do. It's already going to look bad for them, right? For Americans go down there for some medical assistance and uh, or some medical treatment and uh, two end up dead, uh, four end up kidnapped, two end up dead. That's already going to, going to look bad. Uh, they, they're not going to want to add insult to injury. So they're probably going to send a uh, trusted and, and solid uh, medical team out to uh, at least make the, um, the recovery rescue and recovery element of this uh, tragedy look good. There were cases when I was younger um, and, and to, to, to Steve's point here, when I was when I was much younger, um, I had a friend that was with the Florida Highway Patrol and he was a sergeant and there were cases in South Florida 
where uh, people were being robbed and violently robbed. I think somebody may have even died, a couple of German tourists, but there were robberies happening at rest areas along the freeway, the I-95 on one coast and the I-75 on the other coast. So uh, the way things were, it was different than the way license plates, they were able to tell what were rental cars and what were people that lived in the state, and they were robbing tourists. And it became such an event and so dangerous that I believe it was Germany that put in, put out a notification to their people that Florida in the United States is very dangerous. Now, I don't mean at all to be crass or uncaring and talking about economics versus the loss of life. But when you have something like this happen, the nation of Mexico, for political reasons, for diplomatic reasons, and for economic reasons, they want this case solved. They want it to be a one-off. They want this to be an anomaly and not the norm. They don't want the perception of their country for the Americans that travel there. They don't want that at all. So um, I asked Steve a couple of specific questions, and I'm going to get to a couple of them. One of them was, was this a coordinated attack? When um, when I watched this video, this looked like a trained team of people, like they were kind of trained for this. And so was this co- a coordinated kidnapping? Here's what he said. My opinion, I don't think it was a coordinated effort to target these people and think that they were going to somehow be beneficial to them, whether robbing them and so forth. Uh, I think as details come out, it's going to be just a uh, unfortunate tragedy of the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, and so the idea that they're in the wrong place at the wrong time, I agree with that. But it looked like this was a crew that knew what they were doing. And when I talked with the Pinal County Sheriff, he kind of echoed the same thing. Then when he saw this, and he talked about his crews um, when they do a vehicle jump, when they when they do when they go after a vehicle where they think somebody or if people in a vehicle are wanted, they train to make sure that the element of surprise and quickness is there and in their favor. And so that's what it appeared like to me. That's what this appeared to be. And so um, we're not going to have answers today, and, and but I think in the long run, the answers are going to be important. The, the loss for these families, to me, the terrorizing of the people that survived, they will never forget this incident. But the two people that were killed that were just going down to Mexico for some medical care, um, this is not something that any of us ever expect or want this to happen. But now you look at what the implications are for people that are going to go down, that have businesses or property in, in Mexico or the the spring breakers. You, you know, Many of you listening got kids in college and Mexico is where they go for spring break. Is that going to be something that they have to change? Are schools going to say to students in their individual universities, don't go down to Mexico? It isn't the economic um, problem, but it's a perception. And I'll tell you, you know, there are there, the people of Mexico are good people. When you get to meet people from Mexico or in Mexico, they are good people. And I'm sure many of them are horrified by what happened. They are caught inside a problem where the cartels are growing in power and brazenness. And this is where I think the American people are going to have to stand up with the Mexican government and say something has to be done. There has to be a response. Appreciate you listening today. If you're a social media user, at Broomhead KTAR is my personal Twitter account. Would love to keep in touch. At Broomhead Show updates you on the show. And if you're an Instagram user, Mike Broomhead, all one word. I'm back on CNN tonight in the 8 to 10 p.m. Hours. I hope that you can watch me. Have a great day, everyone. God bless.